Welcome everybody to episode 4 of the Blue Skies Dronecast, the podcast by UAV Hub. This is a podcast for the UK drone industry, discussing everything from the UK regulations, new drones, and also speaking to you, the people within the drone industry. Presented this week, as always, by Tom Patterson, Adam Giorgio, and Matthew Hurst. So welcome everyone. We're on to uh, episode uh, four now, so uh, we're getting through them quite uh, quite nicely. So uh, again, welcome back everybody. And uh, again, like I mentioned, we've got uh, Adam and Matthew here. So uh, again, do you want to say a quick uh, hello, Adam? Anything interesting happened to you this week at all? Or uh, no, no. Uh, but hello. Um... The good thing is, I do apologise, episode three, there was a bit of popping, I was, I got a new microphone, uh, didn't put the pop blocker in the front, so I do apologise about that, but we've got a, a pop blocker now, um, and I'm away from the microphone ever so slightly, so um, hopefully it should sound a little bit better than episode three. Yeah, I was going to say, you sound much better than the previous episode, so now hopefully we've ironed out any small little uh, issues that we had, uh, and uh, we all should be sounding as good as good as we can do. This is it now, this is what we sound like, so uh, yeah, there you go. Uh, Matthew, as well, I uh, want to say a quick hello, anything uh, interesting happened to you this week at all? Uh, yeah, hey guys, uh, good to be here again. Uh, pretty standard week, couple of flight tests under the belt, which all went well ahead of the rainy weekend. Um, so fortunate for those couple of people to have got through the course nicely, but uh, yeah, that's pretty much it for now. Yeah, same as me as well. Yeah, a couple of OEs and uh, the weather was actually nice and calm, which was brilliant. But yeah, like you said, uh, I think the weekend is uh, not looking great at all. And I think you actually mentioned that uh, in uh, the, the weather report that we had uh, last episode as well. So that's good going. Well done. <laughs> um, so... Obviously, like we always say, we do have a, a structure for these podcasts. And uh, again, we're going to be following the same structure as always. So we've got a main topic this week. We're going to be discussing whether we can fly our DJI uh, Mini 2 or any other small drone that's under 250 grams uh, down at a high street or uh, a built up busy area. So we're going to talk about that. That does come up time and time again uh, on uh, sort of different forums and our Facebook group, etc. Uh, we'll also then have uh, another weather report from Matthew. So uh, Again, he's uh, got the uh, the sort of uh, the recipe now, I think, for an accurate weather report. So hopefully he'll uh, again follow suit with that as well. Uh, a couple of questions. Actually going to try and answer three questions this time. So we've got three questions uh, queued up too. And uh, finally, we're going to talk about uh, the rumour roundup. We're going to quickly recap over the Parrot and Affy. We did have the bonus episode on that, so we won't spend too long. But we'll just recap uh, over the specs of that aircraft. And also there's a bit more information uh, about this Mini SE as well. So we'll talk a bit more about that, a few extra little uh, tidbits there uh, as well. So uh, without further ado, I think we'll uh, carry on and start to discuss the main topic. So can you or can we fly a DJI Mini 2 uh, over or down a high street? If I wanted to do that, could I do it legally? Adam, over to you. So uh, the big one is, well, it depends. And it depends really on, on two things, is whether you can class the, the high street as an assembly of people. So really, it's more down to, I suppose, the time of day that you're intending to fly down. So uh, I would say, you know, under perhaps normal conditions where, uh, you know, let's say the hours of nine till five, where the high street is generally quite busy. It might actually be that you can't fly your Mini 2 down there because it could be considered an assembly of people. Uh, because of the amount of people that are in it, you know, again, it depends on the size of the streets and whatnot. You know, if it's a, perhaps a wide open street um, and, you know, maybe it's a small town, you might not be too bad, but, you know, go down you know, somewhere in London 
potentially, you know, one of the, the big kind of shopping streets in London, that might be considered an assembly of people. So, um, you know, opening hours, I would say no. Generally, I would say, no, you can't fly your Mini 2 down there because it could be considered um, an assembly of people. But, you know, outside of those opening hours, you know, perhaps the, the later hours where it is quiet and there's only a few people milling, milling around or early hours, um, then, yeah, but possibly yes, because, you know, there aren't many people around. If anything was to go wrong with your aircraft, then, you know, there's a lot more room for people to, to get out of the way. Yeah, I was going to say, it's all to do with the fact that uh, these people who aren't involved need to be able to move out the way and they need to have space to do that, don't they? So obviously a very crowded street, it could be difficult for people to move out the way of this aircraft with a problem. So yeah, I think you're right. To start with, we need to think about how busy uh, the area is, I think, because uh, obviously with these smaller drones, technically there are no uh, separation distances so to speak of, I guess. Um, the only thing we need to be aware of is we mustn't intentionally overfly people uh, that aren't involved. So I guess uh, the, the sort of the, the quieter it is, the easier it is to do that. I suppose that's uh, the idea, isn't just, it? Just a quick, that's uh, with your sub 250, it doesn't matter about overflying uninvolved people. It's only with your, um, your C1 drones that it's no intentional flight. Yep. Or a I, I sta- sub I stand corrected. 500 gram legacy uh that's right just want okay. to making sure we haven't got another apology in there no. usually done but yeah you, you sub two <laughs> you sub 250s you you can overfly uninvolved people again we, we have discussed this in the, in a previous episode i wouldn't personally do it um as you know i would still actually go under that you know no intentional overflights regardless of what the regulations say i actually wouldn't because i wouldn't yeah. want a, a drone potentially overflying me and i wouldn't um you know as a, as a potentially a remote pilot i wouldn't want that responsibility if my aircraft came down and hit somebody well no i wouldn't want that on my conscience i guess that's my mindset still isn't it it's still hard to shake that sort of age-old uh, idea i suppose isn't it really so that's probably why i sort of uh, <laughs> misinterpreted that but no you're exactly right yeah so it's uh, it's interesting that um these drones can be used in in actually quite revolutionary ways i think actually which is which is very uh, very interesting uh, matthew anything to say on on the matter what do you reckon Yes, I think apart from the regulatory perspective on this, I think also we need to think about the number of obstacles in a built-up area. That's certainly going to become very, very relevant. Even if there aren't people around, you need to have a really good scout around and have a good idea of your surroundings because, you know, so many times people get caught out by cables or telephone lines, etc., it can be something temporary for signage, etc., which you just don't see unless you're absolutely certain of your environment. So I think Maintaining separation from physical objects is as much of an issue as from people in terms of minimizing the chance of an actual incident. So I think that may come down to negligence as well. If you just charge up your batteries and take off and sort of zoom around for a bit of fun, I think you're really taking a lot of risk and the chances of an incident are very, very high. Whereas if you've done a good planning exercise and you've sort of scouted out, you do minimize that. But I think the risk risk is certainly still there for sure. Yeah. Okay, I see. So let's say, uh, you know, uh, we've got a job we need to do we need to um sort of photograph some uh, sort of building or some roofs let's say in a, in a in a busy area on a high street um we can't do it early morning we can't do it uh in the evening we have to do it while it is busy so let's say there are assemblies of people in the area so therefore we will uh need to keep a certain distance away from these groups of people are we able to just fly higher and sort of go over the top of them and and use that separation distance or or, or not can we do that no so uh, with an assembly of people is it is a 50 meter lateral separation um it's the old kind of 
column concept rather than a, a bubble concept. It's a 50 meter from the ground all the way up. Um, there is no overflight of assemblies of people. So unfortunately, you know what? It, if it is, um, uh, you know, regardless of you know how big or how small your drone is, and you know, you as you've said, you need to potentially do this job on the high street, and you can't do it um, out of hours. Then you, you're going to have to find a different way of going about it. You know, whether it's through a pole or, uh, I mean, I, I don't know. Uh, you know, potentially having the council mm. shut the street off. For, I mean, I know it won't generally happen, but you, you're going to have to think differently uh, because if it is an assembly of people, yeah. you can't overfly. You need to stay that 50 meter lateral separation yeah that makes total sense so uh obviously sorry that 50 meters horizontal is probably a better better way yeah, to use that makes sense doesn't it? i think yeah that that's fine and i guess the other alternative is to get these assemblies of people involved with the flight which might be possible depending on sort of what these people are doing but if they're just members of the public obviously that will be uh almost impossible uh, i suppose really so yeah so the idea is i suppose that uh yes we could do it as long as there weren't assemblies yeah. of people uh, in and around the area if there are we need to find ways of getting them involved or keeping that 50 meter uh, horizontal clearance from them so it's uh as always it's a bit of a yes but more likely it's going to be a no so um i think we've covered most of the the uh the important points there anything else anyone wants to add sort of before we kind of move on i just want to throw a spanner in the mix and just get your guys opinion so obviously before the new regulations come we had the pfco and it was you know this we didn't have this term assemblies of people it was you know crowds of a thousand people or more so you know under the end of this circumstance it could be that you could do your <laughs> uh, you know do this potentially this job with your G, well, what was the PFCO then? You know, having that 30 meter uh, separation mm. on take of landing, your 50 meter bubble. Now, obviously, you know, that thousand crowds of a thousand people or more, the street, you probably could have done it in the street now, but again, just, just playing devil's advocate, can you still do it with, with an operational authorization now? Because an assembly of people still applies to an operational authorization. Have Has the new regulations potentially made it? more difficult for you to fly down a busy high street even with an operational authorization mm. yeah it's an interesting one isn't it what, what, what do you think matthew uh well i think obviously adam is uh, probably more pinpoint accurate with regards to the actual regulatory limitations but um yeah i think probably i always fall back on on article 241 about the negligence i think overflying big numbers of people irrespective of what the regulations uh, dictate is really a risky thing to do so i would probably say that it isn't possible to do it entirely legally um, although theoretically with your 50 meter bubble separation you could overfly uh, groups of people because you would have that vertical separation mm. um, is that correct how do you feel tom yeah I, i'd probably say the same sort of thing i guess now the, the biggest difference is that uh, it's just assemblies of people they haven't put kind of an upper limit or a number on it and i guess the old regulations used to state the a thousand people so yep if there were a thousand people in the area then obviously we had to be uh at least 150 meters away which was you know quite a big distance really so i guess now because that a thousand people has disappeared assemblies of people are basically the only thing we have to be aware of so we could use the bubble scenario for any number of assemblies of people if that makes sense it's kind of hard to describe isn't yeah, it but well, it's, that's well, essentially what they're saying isn't it adam well that's it but the th thing is say on the operational authorization it's still a 50 meter horizontal separation from um uninvolved sorry from assemblies of people um so like i said you know technically even with an operational authorization you shouldn't be overflying people at l assemblies of people not those uninvolved people 
with an operational authorization. I know you. I know we didn't kind of uh, preempt this, guys. So uh, I, I just wanted to uh, throw a bit of a curveball, and I was I was just thinking about it. Just to see, <laughs> it's this. It's this thing. You know, has weirdly, there's some parts of the regulations that have made it more flexible. But I think on this side of, mm. of the coin, it's weirdly I think made that um, the operational authorization a little bit more limiting. For this, because it's putting it back on the remote pilot mm. or the you know the the UAS operator to make the call of whether it it could is it an assembly of people or not, regardless, because obviously they've got to go. Well, ooh, is the street busy enough or not? It's uh, it's going to be obviously down rather than saying, well, it's okay because there's not a, a thousand people, mm. so more I'm all right. It's just you know people. Um, yeah, just just thought it's an interesting one that obviously it's down to people to decide. Yeah. Yeah, as I say, uh, Adam, you used the word weirdly, but actually, I don't think it is weird. I think it's a demonstration of the fact that the regulations have been very clearly thought through and that they're actually working in the sense that the the focus is on the risk to uninvolved people. And in this case, you're basically saying that it doesn't appear to be entirely safe. And for that reason, we're not able to do it. And that is basically dictated by the regulation. So I think although there's a lot of criticism out there, I think they're very, very carefully thought out. And in fact, they're working well in this instance. Yeah, I mean, I, to us, I'm all kind of up for it because it, you know, it has technically made it more safe. If it, it's more, putting more thought behind it that you know we used to have uh, potentially people down in you know, London doing this. So it's oh, it's all right. I'll just I'll just overfly people. Like, you know, you've got as long as you've got your thirty meters on separation uh, for takeoff and landing, you can then go up, you know, fifty, sixty meters, and then fly over people. And now it's like, well, actually, if it is an assembly of people, whatever number you consider to be an assembly of people, based on obviously mm. the scenario. Actually, no, they they can take you down on that. They can say, well, it was a busy high street. You shouldn't have been overflying those people because it's an assembly of people. And if people yeah. say, oh, that's it's all right, you know, I've got the, think, bubble, the bubble with my operational authorization, it's no, it's, it's an assembly of people. The guidance also talks about uh, those uninvolved people uh, having the opportunity or the space around them to be able to move to safety if anything goes wrong. So I think, again, it is sort of dictated in the, in the regulations that you you are sort of guided to be able to make the call with an educated decision in that you can see for yourself that it's too busy or not uh, for people to to make it to a clear space if the aircraft were to fall for example so just a just a, a, a quick kind of curveball for you guys just to, uh, yeah, for us to exactly, discuss yeah so i think that's exactly it now they've taken away the the number it's actually yeah assemblies of people is essentially the new number isn't it so it's on the pilot themselves to actually have to you know say is this the odd person or would this be classed as an assembly of people if it's an assembly of people obviously we have to then keep a certain distance away so yeah i can see what you're saying adam actually yeah it's interesting it's yeah from both sides it could either be easier or or worse regardless of whether it's a sub 250 gram drone or you've got Mm, an operational authorization yeah so there's a lot more to think about i think actually now instead you can't just use the bubble and uh off you go carry on type of thing so uh yeah brilliant okay good well hopefully that's uh again made it slightly clearer there's a lot to kind of unpack i think uh with this type of subject especially then when you move on with bigger drones i think as well but the under 250 class is still quite an interesting uh, avenue i think to explore with uh, with a lot of different operators uh, i think as well so uh cool brilliant Okay, so we're going to move on to uh, Matthew's weather report now. So we'll see uh, what the week has in store weather-wise. So yeah, Matthew, over to you. Thanks, Tom. Now let's have a look at what the long-term forecast suggests we'll be experiencing over the next seven days or so. We're not expecting any drastic changes of weather over the coming days. And to be fair, the conditions we're experiencing are characteristic of this time of year. It does appear that there'll be a little more distinction between different areas of the country moving forward. So let's get into the specifics of that then. 
as tends to be the case. Temperatures down in the southern regions are a little higher than the rest of the country, peaking out at around 20 to 22 on a daily basis for the next couple of days. There is however an ongoing chance of rain, but with wind speeds staying under 10 miles per hour, this will certainly make for some good flying between showers. Moving a little further north into the Midlands, we can see temperatures have dropped a little bit, although still very comfortable around 18 to 20 degrees on the daily maxes. Forecast does also include a considerable amount of rain in this region, however Sunday looks to be like that it may be a good opportunity for some flying. And the winds remain light throughout, so certainly well worth keeping some batteries charged. It also looks as though Scotland will be treated to a few more days of these great temperatures. They're sitting around the same levels as the Midlands. As is often the case in the Highlands, the threat of rain will of course still be lurking. These conditions are likely to produce some spectacular cloud formations, setting the scene for some fantastic moody shots. So keep those batteries charged, get out there and grab some opportunities in between showers. Great, thanks Matthew. Thanks for that. Hopefully, uh, again, we'll all get out and uh, do a bit of flying this weekend, uh, as last weekend wasn't very nice at all. Brilliant. Thanks very much for that. Uh, okay, so we're going to move on to uh, the questions now, the question round. Uh, so before we start, don't forget, uh, if you want to send in your questions, uh, all you have to do is uh, email us at dronecast at uavhub.com. Okay, so send in your emails. Uh, we prefer a voice note if possible, but uh, again, if you don't feel comfortable doing that, just uh, send them in uh, as an email if you like. But the uh, address is, once again, dronecast at uavhub.com. Dot com. Okay, so we've got our first question. Uh, it's coming from uh, Brian Gavin, and he'd just like to uh, sort of uh, have our thoughts on uh, recording drone footage or drone video uh, and submitting it to stock agencies such as uh, Adobe Stock or Alami, etc. as well. Okay, so uh, again, haven't had much experience uh, of that personally, but uh, I don't know. Has anyone else, Adam, have you had any experience on that? What do you think? So we've not had experience on submitting footage for stock use of these stock sites. However, we do heavily use stock footage and uh, stock photos um, for use in the company. Um, and actually, you know, there's a few um, a few of the companies that we do use. You know, we do use Adobe Stock. Um, we use Storyblocks. There's a, a few other ones that we do use, and you know there are there is okay. only a you know a, a, a relatively small amount of of decent footage, and that's the thing. You know, we always we always like to use high quality footage. Um, you know, whether it's of a drone in the sky rather than um, you know aerial shots, particularly. We you know, we use quite a lot of uh, stock footage of of drones um, in the sky. So you know, taken from the ground or taken from the from the sky. Mm-hmm. Um, so we do use it a lot. From a financial point of view, I don't know obviously how much you'll get. You know whether you'll only get you know pennies per download. No. So um, you know unless you get one that really takes off. Excuse the pun. Um, it's not intentional. <laughs> then you know you might actually make a you know a nice little learner from if your particular piece of footage does get used. But I, I would say you, I wouldn't expect to make a living on it. But I'd say you could quite nicely make a nice little top up to your earnings potentially if you've got the right kind of footage. We've there's plenty of aerial stuff, um, uh, stock footage of aerial shots online. But I would say you know there's a there's a big gap in the market for stock footage of drones rather than aerial shots. Ah, I see. So yeah, rather than or people flying drones. Yeah, rather than footage from an aircraft, it's footage of the aircraft, I guess. Yeah, because that's what we were trying to find when we were sort of adding in our B-roll, etc. And I guess also trying to keep it as generic as possible, I suppose, too, is really useful because then it could be opened up to a wider audience as well, I suppose, too. Is that the idea? 
yeah, that's it. So, you know, if you try not to make make it so you think, oh, you know, I, that, I know where that is. You know, if you don't make it landmark specific, potentially, um, you can make it you know, as generic mm. as possible. That really helps. Sometimes we, you know, we struggle trying to find stop footage that's not been shot in, you know, downtown california you know that doesn't look very appropriate for our you know drone courses that are shot in the uh, windy rainy uk um so you know if you (laughs) can make it as generic as possible it could be you know potentially shot anywhere then i would say yeah there's a an open market for that especially you know we we would potentially use it um from our stock uh databases hmm I see, yeah. Um, uh, any uh, experience of doing that yourself, Matthew? Probably not a huge amount, I should imagine, but anything you want to sort of add to that? Uh, no, I don't think I've got any experience, but the only comment that I can add to that is um, I've also seen quite a bit of sort of activity in that segment in terms of online advertising and so on of companies looking for that sort of footage. So I think certainly there is an opportunity to be ahead, and I reckon somebody's going to pick it up. So if you've got the opportunity, you may as well grab it and run with it, see yeah. where it takes you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's what we always say, isn't it? Try and explore all different avenues because, you know, you never know which one will sort of uh, be the sort of the best earner, I suppose, really. So again, if you've got the footage, you might as well upload it and uh, yeah see what you can get for it I suppose too so uh, there we go hopefully that's uh, answered your question uh, quite nicely so we'll move on to uh, question two now to a, so a totally uh, different subject uh, this time uh, and this is a question uh, from Rob Barron and it's all to do with the one-to-one separation distance and this does cause a little bit of confusion I think with quite a few people I think that's uh, uh, that sort of uh, is, is is something that we all know about unfortunately so hopefully we'll try and answer this uh, and make it a little bit easier to sort of understand. So basically what he wants to know is what's the logic behind the this rule? So uh, he goes on to say, I understand with certified aircraft, we will be able to fly within five meters of people with a max height of five meters. Obviously that's the one-to-one rule, but let's say I want to fly within 10 meters. Surely it's safer to stay at a five meter altitude rather than to climb to 10 meters. So uh, potentially kind of getting a bit confused with the idea behind this rule so uh, i'll let uh, adam uh, have a quick go if you like so what have you got to say to, uh, for rob yeah so i think rob's kind of got the wrong end of the sticky so yeah what the the one-to-one rule is is it's just it well for one it is a rule of thumb so the idea is that if you went up to 10 meters um in height then you should stay um you need to stay 10 meters away from um uninvolved people that's that's the mm-hmm. that's what you need to stay uh, and the reason for this is that the higher that you go uh, there's more chance that your um, aircraft will uh, potentially you know, veer off course it won't potentially drop straight down the higher it is so it needs a wider kind of cone um, is probably a good way of looking of, of kind of mm. visualizing it of uh, how far it could fall so you know the higher it goes it'll have a, a wider area that it could potentially land and the idea is that the the higher you go uh, at say 10 meters you need to stay um, 10 meters away from this person now if you um uh if you want to if they say let's say 10 uh, 15 meters away um you know you can come down mm. to, you can still f- f- um fly it only 10 meters high you know it, it doesn't matter it's just they can't come any closer than 10 meters um if you're down to five meters they need to stay five meters away yeah i see so it's not a literal uh one 
uh, sort of uh, number, is it? So again, if we have a max altitude of 10 meters, we don't have to be at 10 meters. We just mustn't go any higher than 10 meters. We can go lower if we need to. And I think that's the best way to think of it. I think try and work out basically to start with uh, how high you need to fly. And then that'll dictate the distance that you need to keep away from that object. So I think that's probably the easier way to understand it. And remember, it's a max altitude as opposed to um, uh, sort of uh, the minimum that you need to be flying. So any altitude below that is obviously fine because the lower the aircraft, the safer technically, uh, technically it's going to be. That's the that's the idea, isn't it? That's it. Uh, and you have to remember, this is only down. This is only up to uh, a up maximum of thirty meters um, height. So after that thirty meters in a low speed mode, you're in normal speed anyway, and then it's just a standard um, thirty meter separation distance with a mm. C two. Um, aircraft that you need to stay away from uninvolved people so um and this is something else people get a bit confused with that you know um people, some people are say well what if i'm in a low speed mode and i want to go to uh, 50 meters high to you does that mean i've got mm. to stay 50 meters away from uninvolved people um and it's it's no with a c2 aircraft it's it's a, a up to a maximum of 30 meters with uh, oh, lateral see. separation so if it is that you went up to 50 60 70 meters in height you need to stay 30 meters away from unevolved people but then if you go in your low speed mode below 30 meters uh, mm -hmm. uh, yeah so yeah but below 30 meters then that's where the one-to-one -one rule kicks yeah. in and then you need to start thinking about the the distances that's it so yeah, if you're at 50 meters in a low speed mode then you need to stay 15 meters away if you got to 20 you need to stay 20 meters away but it's only up to this 30 meters that's the the maximum uh, separation distance um that you need to maintain i see so basically it's all to do with the low speed mode if you're in that mode uh, and you're trying to reduce your distances obviously that's when the one-to-one -one rule will then start to come into effect as well brilliant yeah anything you want to add matthew at all or i think we've covered it quite well there hopefully yeah, I think it's pretty well covered. I think the only additional thing to mention is that it is a good rule of thumb. I think Adam did use that line, but we're sort of recommending it as a good way of being confident in your safety while you're flying. If you sort of follow that rule uh, up to higher altitudes as well, you can only be safer than if you do go uh, outside of the rule. So it's a good rule of thumb to, to keep you in check. Yeah. Exactly right. Yeah, it's always a good a good way of erring on the side of caution, isn't it? And it's another sort of added kind of safety uh, sort of protocol that we can follow as well. Another mitigation, I suppose, as well, you could call it too. Brilliant. Uh, okay, so hopefully that's uh, cleared uh, that question up for you, Rob, uh, as well. Uh, like I said, we're going to do a third question because we ha have another quick question that has come in uh, from James Reed. And again, this is uh, quite topical. We're talking about the uh, the Mini 2 again. Uh, so he, uh, this was actually from Facebook, actually. So uh, a question came in. Uh, via uh, our A2CFC and UVC group. Um, so James did a roof inspection today with his Mini 2 uh, and he was a bit concerned uh, because mid-flight uh, the aircraft was actually uh, descending in altitude. Uh, he wasn't moving, uh, again it wasn't overly windy uh, and he was just a little bit worried about why that uh, potentially happened. So we can hopefully shed a little bit of light on this. So what you've got to remember is your aircraft uh, has a barometer 
uh, inside and that's how it actually understands how high it is. It does use the cameras that are pointing downwards uh, to a certain extent but when you get high enough it's then purely on the barometer and the barometer basically just measures air pressure okay so if you're not moving you're not climbing or you're not descending the air pressure should be the same so the aircraft goes ah great i'm not moving i don't need to adjust the throttles to to sort of try and maintain the altitude uh, obviously if there's any type of wind so a small gust a big gust that will hit the aircraft briefly the pressure will rise very briefly and so the aircraft might suddenly think oh I've climbed up a bit by accident I better drop the power to descend back down again and obviously because uh, you haven't done that it's just a gust of wind the aircraft will actually descend and then suddenly think oh actually maybe I don't need to do that and come back up again so you might notice when it's windier the aircraft sort of bobbing up and down and depending on sort of where you are with location uh, etc the aircraft actually could drop a considerable amount before it kind of works out what's happened and then tries to climb back up again so that could have been what happened uh, but I think Matthew might have uh, sort of uh, a few other bits of information uh, for you too Matthew yes Tom I think um, the other thing that may be relevant in this instance is the proximity to the structure that uh, James is flying close to I think it becomes much more obvious as soon as you are close to a solid structure or close to the ground for that matter so it just becomes clearer to see uh, if you're flying up at 50 meters and the aircraft fluctuates a little bit say half a meter up or down you may see it on the telemetry you may not be able to see it on the actual aircraft itself though just watching the aircraft from the ground so I think it's just probably something that was highlighted by the environment that James was flying in. The other thing that I wanted to comment on as well is that we've become very comfortable with the level of technology that we're operating these days, where previously, if we go back a couple of years to self-built aircraft and first generations of, uh, of big manufacturers' aircraft, uh, we didn't have anything like the level of stability and accuracy that we've got today. So enjoy the technology you've got and capitalize on how good they really are already. Yeah, exactly. And also don't rely on it as well, because like you mentioned, Matthew, going back five, six years when I used to build my own aircraft, you know, to start with, the GPS accuracy was in about a 10 foot circle so you'd be happy if your aircraft was actually staying within this 10 foot bubble uh, and when it did that we we were happy obviously nowadays we expect it to almost not even move at all so I think relying on the technology is sometimes a bad thing because it's not perfect and so when an aircraft does do something a little bit strange we panic but actually it's just normal you know you've got to compensate you're the pilot so again if the aircraft starts to drop just give it a bit more throttle you know if it moves to the left or the right chances are you just need to nudge it back to where it needs to be again you know it's not always 100% and it will need uh, user input so hopefully that kind of helps as well but uh, yeah there we go James hopefully that was uh, useful and uh, I don't think it's anything to worry about another thing to point out though is if you do notice anything like this with your aircraft and this goes for anyone it's always a good idea to bring it back in uh, land it and just check the sensors so do a compass calibration potentially and also another big one is the IMU as well that will make a massive difference and a lot of people don't even know what the IMU is or understand how to calibrate it so definitely worth having a little look uh, at uh, YouTube or the instructions and very simple procedure but it's important to make sure that it is calibrated correctly and that should sort 95% of the issues I should think with all of these aircraft um, as well so uh, anything you want to add Adam at all? No, you're pretty much covered it from you guys are the ones that uh, used to build the aircraft, so um, I'm not even going to attempt. So I'll just add one more very brief <laughs> comment. As you spoke about doing the uh, IMU calibration, I would recommend doing that in a controlled environment. So rather do that at home on a nice level surface where you've got time to focus and do it properly. I wouldn't normally attempt to do that in the field. 
No, you're right. Exactly right. Yeah, I should have mentioned that. That's one of those things that in an emergency, you can do it. But no, I would always want to do that, like you say, on a level surface uh, somewhere where the aircraft will not be disturbed. Yeah, exactly right. That's a good point to bring up. Brilliant. OK, well, there we go. Three questions answered. Uh, that's great. Hopefully uh, we'll uh, continue to get some more uh, over the coming uh, weeks uh, as well. So uh, finally, then we're going to talk about uh, the rumor roundup. And uh, we've got a couple of topics here, a couple of short topics. Uh, the first one we're going to talk about um, is uh, the Parrot and Naffy AI. So hopefully you've all heard our bonus episode. We went into uh, quite a lot of depth uh, with that aircraft and uh, the information that uh, was received from uh, the keynote presentation. So hopefully you've all listened to that. And uh, it sounds like an exciting aircraft and uh, we look forward to seeing one in the flesh, hopefully. But uh, before we carry on, we'll just have a quick uh, roundup of uh, the sort of the headline specs, I suppose, for people who haven't heard the bonus episode yet. Uh, so yeah, Matthew, do you want to quickly just run us through uh, the sort of the headlines, I suppose? The first thing that I noted was, sadly, uh, after our little bit of banter, I was wrong. The <laughs> aircraft wasn't certified. Um, so this isn't the first example of a certified aircraft. Um, yeah. If you listen to the uh, the special podcast, of course, you'll hear uh, Adam's reasoning behind that or the sort of uh, the whole reason behind yeah, or yeah. theory why, why it may not be certified. Um, I think in terms of specification, though, the big jump, I think, technology wise was the jump to 4G connectivity um, that works alongside enhanced Wi-Fi so it isn't purely 4G. Um, again, we've given, gone into a bit of detail and spoken about that uh, in the special episode, but certainly that's a change in technology and perhaps something to look out for with other manufacturers as well in future. Um, they have also, as predicted, gone ahead with uh, very secure data protection and privacy. That certainly seems to be a focal point uh, of Parrot's development at this time, and they are using that as a real marketing tool to distinguish themselves within the market for sure. So all of these confirmations were uh, within the, the launch itself. Uh, we also found out that uh, the autonomous photo photogrammetry is also sort of a primary function of the aircraft and that it seems that PIX4D seems to be integrated within its software uh, rather than sort of a standalone bit of software that uh, that you mm. use alongside its control system. So it seems ideally poised to be able to do that sort of work exceptionally well. Uh, and then finally, uh, we also really sort of got the confirmation that Parrot seemed to be going very specifically down the enterprise route rather than sort of working on their market share within the, the consumer market. So I think most of what we speculated about uh, in our previous chat about this aircraft was confirmed, but certainly the specification goes above what I had expected it to be. So well worth a look. Uh, and if you are interested in that, you can have a look at Parrot.com if you want to go out and uh, get more information on this new aircraft. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I think it's certainly a good thing to have a little look at because it's really hard to describe uh, the features and the actual look of the aircraft without actually seeing a picture of it. So yeah, jump onto uh, parrot.com and uh, hopefully you'll be able to have a quick look and uh, yeah, see what you think of it. It's quite a quite a different type of aircraft, which is uh, which is great, I think, really as well. So that's a, a quick uh, recap of uh, the Parrot and Affy AI. Uh, we've also got another rumor, and I would say it's probably 99% confirmed now. I guess so. Only a couple of weeks since we mentioned it it's now uh, actually appeared I think in one of uh, the updates to the uh, the DJI Fly app so I think uh, a user posted uh, I can't remember where they posted it but I remember seeing a screenshot uh, and uh, the sort of the update text within the app said uh, support for mini SE so I think 
pretty much this uh, aircraft is going to exist quite soon, I suppose, really, which is pretty exciting. Not much more information, though. Tom, uh, yeah, I also saw the same screenshots. It certainly seems that the confirmation of the Mini SE's existence is there, so we definitely know uh, DJI have created their aircraft. The question is whether or not we'll see it uh, arrive on our shores. So we don't know for certain whether this is going to be available within the UK because the previous rumor started in the US, um, although I don't see any reason why it wouldn't be. I think in terms of its physical construction and the hardware, it's going to be very similar to some of the pre-existing aircraft. So there's no reason why it wouldn't be able to drop straight into the UK market as well. Yes, yes it makes no sense that uh, they'd just launch it to the US market. With, uh, yeah, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be, it's got to be global. Yeah. Yeah, I should think it's got to be. Why? Why would they miss out on being able to sell more more aircraft? I don't think they would really, would they? So no, it'll be exciting to see. And if it's even cheaper, it might be a good uh, Christmas present or something like that, mightn't it? We're finally into the realms of you know not being too expensive and hopefully uh, actually getting some good specs and uh, a good aircraft uh, out of uh, that little package uh, as well. So yeah, exciting to see that uh, developing. I think as well, brilliant. Okay, uh, great. Well, that was uh, the end of the uh, the rumor roundup, and that actually takes us to uh, the end of the episode as well. So only a couple of things uh, to sort of say now before we actually say our goodbyes. So again, like I mentioned, don't forget to send in your questions to dronecast at uavhub.com. Like I said, if it can be a voice message, that would be much appreciated. If not, just drop it in a text form, uh, and that would be great too. Uh, as always, don't forget to uh, subscribe and review the podcast if you don't mind as well. We've got quite a few reviews now, which is great, but we could always do with more. So uh, have a look on your podcast app, and there'll be a way to review the podcast. And uh, uh, yeah, give us five stars if you don't mind. And uh, again, give us a quick uh, review uh, as well. So uh, I don't think there's much else uh, to add now, is there? Uh, anyone else got any anything to say before we uh, sign off? Well, I think uh, if Parrot are listening, we would certainly like to have a test of the Anafi AI. But uh, if not, we'll just have to wait until somebody else has got one or get one ourselves potentially. But no, that's about it. That's it. Send a demo to uh, IC6 at uh, Keele University. <laughs> if, uh, if you are listening, Parrot, we'd, we'd love a, uh, a little little fly of, uh, of that aircraft. Um, actually, if, uh, if Parrot are listening, then um, if you have certified the drone, do get in touch do let us know we'd uh, we would love to know um if it is certified or if it will be certified yeah Again, exactly touch. right yeah and we'll uh, do a review if we have to you know we'll, we'll have a fly i'm sure we'll enjoy that so that would be much appreciated wouldn't it brilliant yeah great okay then well uh, all i've got to say now is uh, fly safe and blue skies and uh, see you all next week everyone okay see ya